you this morning. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I was kind of excited to get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. To me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is a, a great encouragement. It's a great encouragement to me. And, and hopefully it's going to be a great encouragement to you. You remember last time we, we were talking about coming to the Lord without a veil. Coming to the Lord unmasked. Coming to the Lord, you know, bare and naked. This is who I am, God. This is what I am. This is what I'm like. And, and to experience God in that way. To not mask the Lord with a, with a veil of religion. To, to not cover up the relationship God wants to have with us by traditions. That we would just come to Him and come to know Him based on who He is. And as we begin in chapter 4, listen to what Paul goes on to tell us. Therefore, since we have this ministry, and that ministry that he's talking about, remember, is the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, the days will come when the Lord says, I will write my law on their hearts. I will write it inside of man. We see in the new covenant of Jesus Christ, and we give our life to him, what happens? The Holy Spirit lives within us. And what does he do? He writes his laws on our heart. He writes his laws there within us. I love the fact that when people sometimes get confused about this concept that God speaks to me. How does God speak to me? He speaks to me from within me. That's where he is. The Bible says that he takes up residence within me and then he speaks to me, to my heart, writing these things upon my heart as he guides and directs us was a promise God gave in Jeremiah 31. The days are coming. Since we have this ministry, the new covenant, since we have this, we've, we've turned aside from trying to fulfill the law in our own strength. Why? Because what does the law tell us about fulfilling the law? I can't do it. The Bible lays out for us God's desired holiness and righteousness. He says, be ye perfect as I am perfect. Anybody qualify? The point that the Lord is making is we need a Savior. That's why when He gave the law, what else did He give? A sacrificial system, right? That they would offer up a lamb. And in that lamb that was offered up, their sins would be covered until the next time that the lamb needed to be offered. But the book of Hebrews says now... In the new covenant of Christ Jesus, He has been offered up for us once for all time. He has made us right in Christ, in our relationship with Him. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are made right with God since we have this ministry of the new covenant. Now, maybe you've heard people before. I hear people all the time say, you know, church, church, I, I can't go to church full of hypocrites. Huh, imagine that. It's weird that that's the only place they won't go that's full of hypocrites. There are hypocrites everywhere. Every time I turn around, you know what, that, that argument is like this. This is that type of logic. Say some guy walking down the road and he sees me and he goes, man. That guy is fat. I am never going to eat food again. Look what it did to him. Uh, that's not going to work out for you very well, is it? I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. But I still go to McDonald's or Taco Bell. 
Huh. I'll have a Big Mac, fries, and a Diet Coke. The definition of hypocrite. (laughs) But we have this ministry of grace. Yeah, we are hypocrites. We're sinners. All of us. We fall short of the righteous requirement of God. So we put our faith and trust in His Son who died for us that we might become righteous through Him, through His sacrifice. For He fulfilled the law. Since we have this ministry, what does He go on to say? Listen, we have received, as we have received mercy, we don't lose heart. What's he mean? Listen, God gave to us mercy, so we're not going to lose heart. And literally, when he says we're not going to lose heart, he means we're not going to surrender like a coward. I'm not just going to give up. This is what Paul's saying. God gave me mercy, so I will never quit. The unstoppable Apostle Paul. And let me tell you, his life was not a bowl of cherries. Yet he would say... I'm not going to lose heart because of the mercy that God gave me. And we, as a church, as believers, as those who want a relationship, open face with the Lord, we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, I I have failed, but you've given me mercy, so help me extend mercy to others. Help me extend grace. Help me reach out and touch people with the truth of the new covenant. That it's not about your ability to perform, it was about His. And putting your trust in Him. As Paul goes on, he says in verse 2, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. He says, listen, we we have renounced the hidden things of shame. The Bible tells us to cast off every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you. And we talked about it last week. A lot of us come to church and we put on a mask of righteousness over a life of sin and we pretend it's all okay. But Paul says, listen, we've renounced the hidden things of shame. He says, now I'm not about that. Cast off the weights and that sin that so easily ensnares you. How do we do it? We just give it to the Lord. Well, I give it to the Lord and then I fail again. Good, give it to Him again. The Bible doesn't say there's some kind of limit on how often you can ask for forgiveness from the Lord. His grace and mercy never runs out. So renounce the hidden things of shame. Don't try to pretend to be someone else. Just come to the Lord, a sinner, and say, God, forgive me. Make me right. And then he says, we don't walk deceitfully. I'm not trying to fool anybody to trick someone into thinking that me, the Apostle Paul, is some great fellow. No, I'm not doing that. Nor am I teaching the Word of God deceitfully. You know, you've all heard people take God's Word and make it say whatever they want it to say. You cannot do that. You cannot, by doing honor to God's word, make it say whatever you want it to say. Unless you are being deceiving. Why? The word of God was written in the Koine Greek. Koine Greek has this unique feature. It transmits exact thought. So in order to make it say something it doesn't intend to say, I have to be deceitful. I have to be unwilling to apply what in school is called homiletics and hermeneutics, which is a fancy 10-cent word for this is how you exegete or divide, rightly divide the Word of God. You keep 
the scripture in context. You guys have all heard someone go from one verse to four books later to another verse and six books back to another verse. But the word of God following the, the, the rules of context, we stay verse by verse, precept by precept, chapter by chapter, from beginning to end. If you come to our three services on Sunday morning, you're going to study the New Testament. On Wednesday night, you're going to study the Old Testament prophets. On, or, I'm sorry, on Sunday night, the Old Testament prophets. And on Wednesday night, the Old Testament. As we work our way through, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, story by story, there's no way to get off track. Because we're staying in the confines of God's Word. That's why Paul said to the Ephesians, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't just stay in one place. I taught you the whole Word. Every piece. This is what he's laying out for him. But by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Listen, he says, I'm just teaching you the truth. What's the truth? The truth is not my opinion. The truth is God's word. God's word is absolute truth for every situation. We don't always like what it has to say. There are times it actually steps on my toes too. There are certain things I like to do. You want to have confession hour? I would love to pirate all the programs that I have to pay $500 for just to have. But God says, that's not okay. I can't go, but Lord, they got billions and trillions of dollars, and, and who am I? I it's uh, okay. <laughs> Isn't that about how it works? Okay, Lord, you're right. God's word is absolute truth. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. He's saying, listen, if folks don't understand what the gospel teaches, it's because they're lost. Paul has already told us that the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. The Word of God makes no sense to us. If we're looking at the Word of God, we say, man, it's just a bunch of nonsense that I'm looking at. The Scripture says that we're looking at it as a natural man, and we need to be born again, born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes our teacher, and He brings to light the things that we read. He says, if it's veiled, it's veiled to the perishing, to those who are lost. Listen, here's the great news. You cannot save anyone. You can't save anyone by great apologetics. You will never argue anyone into the faith. You can present in an intelligent fashion the truth of God's word and the evidence for that truth. But the Holy Spirit draws, works in the heart of an unbeliever to bring them to salvation. You know what that means? It's not on you. God says the only part that's on us is to tell. And he does the rest. You ever try to share with somebody and it just is an unmitigated train wreck? I have experienced that before. I, I, me listening to him, I had no idea what I was saying. I have no idea how he would know what I was saying. <laughs> but it's not about me, right? It's about who? It's about the Spirit of God working in the life of someone. How is it then that we usher an unbeliever to faith? Through prayer. My wife prayed for her sister for 10 years. 
She was as far from God as she could be. And it never seemed like we were getting any closer. She prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And then one day she calls and says, you know what? I went to church and got saved. Well, praise God. Because he's the one who does the work, who takes away the veil, who opens our eyes and we can say, I see. I get it, Lord. I get it. I can see. Listen, in verse 4, he tells us why they can't see. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who's the God of this age? Satan. Satan is the God of this age. In fact, when you study the book of Revelation around chapter 5, you're introduced to a scroll that is defined for us in the book of Jeremiah. That scroll is known as a title deed. The title deed for planet Earth. It's sealed with seven seals. Do you remember this document if you studied the book of Revelation before? And the Lord says, who can open that? Now, the only person who can open a title deed is the one who made the title deed or his kin that's what god's word declares so what happened god became flesh so that jesus christ could put his hand in god's hand and with his other hand take that scroll and say satan it's not yours anymore but folks that day hasn't arrived The God of this age, who did mankind turn to when he rejected God? He turned to the lies of Satan. What are the lies of Satan? Do whatever you want. Do whatever feels right. Do whatever feels good. Isn't that what we see on TV and every commercial? If I like it, do it. If it feels good, do it. Nike, just do it. But God's word has a different way. But the the God of this age, this period of time... Satan, not almighty God, but looked to as a God. Listen, he's blinded them who do not believe so that the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who is in the image of God can't shine on them. He blinds their eyes. Satan runs around trying to make sure everybody keeps eyes closed. Don't look. Don't listen. Don't go to church. Hey, listen, in the morning before you go to church, how many excuses can you find not to go? I can find them. It'd be bad if I didn't show up, huh? We all have that battle that goes on within us, that struggle that we face. But the point is, hey, we don't allow him victory because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So we put our faith and trust in Christ and we overcome. But those who don't have Christ, man, it's hard for them. It's hard for them. And look what he says. Listen, God, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded them. Those who do not believe. That simply means those who won't trust in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say they can't. It says they won't. They won't. They won't put their faith in him. So how do we cross that bridge? We pray for them and pray for them. We pray for our community. We pray for our nation. We pray for our state. Why? The Bible tells us, doesn't it? Doesn't the Bible say in the Old Testament, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray? The Lord calls us to pray. And what happens? Prayer changes things. It changes me. And it changes those around me. That's what we want to see happen. Look what he says here. He says, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. 
Remember I told you that Koine Greek transmits exact thought, right? That phrase, who is the image of God, means he is the exact, perfect, visual representation of the invisible God. It means Jesus Christ is in the Godhead, the God we relate to, we see, we touch, we hear. He has come that we would understand the Father. Isn't that what Jesus said? He gave us seven I am statements, didn't he, in the book of John, in the gospel of John? I am the light of the world. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the truth. He laid out for us what, who God is, what God expects, and he shows us. He is the image, not a, not a, a statue of God, but the exact visual, perfect representation of the invisible God. The scripture can't be any clearer. In fact, the people in Jesus' time clearly understood what he said. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. We say, what's the big deal about who Jesus is? Everybody worships Jesus. It matters because Jesus said, unless you believe I am. What does that mean? Folks, in the book of Exodus, Moses asked God, what's your name, God? Who shall I say has sent me? And God says, you tell them I am. And Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sin." Oh, but he didn't really mean he was God. Well, then a little later on, he goes on to say, me and the Father are one. And what did the people do? They picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus, just so we would understand, he said, why are you stoning me? For what good work? And they said, for no good work, but that you being a man, make yourself God. They knew what was going on. The Bible tells us the only problem is he was telling the truth. He was God in the flesh. And that's what is being declared in chapter 4, verse 5. He's blinded. The world's eyes are blinded to see Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. What's he saying? Listen, in Ephesians chapter 20... Paul, when he was talking to the the Ephesian elders, he said, When I leave, savage wolves will come, and they're not going to spare the flock. They're going to try to disrupt everything that we've done here. And when they come, they're going to come from the outside, and more scary, they're going to come from the inside. And the way you'll tell those who have come up from the inside that they're not serving or following the Lord God is that they will desire to make disciples after themselves. In other words, they're going to draw people after their fame. What's our role? Point to Jesus Christ. Who am I? Nobody. And that's what Paul says. We're not preaching ourselves. It's not the almighty Paul show. It's Paul pointing the way to Jesus Christ. He says we portray ourselves as bond slaves of Jesus Christ. That is a slave by choice. That means Paul chose to be God's slave. We're going to serve somebody. Isn't that what Bob Dylan's saying? You're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you will present yourself to someone as a slave. 
Paul says we do it to Jesus Christ. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness that is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Man, here's what he says. Listen, it's like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form. And the Spirit of God hovered over the, the waters. And then God said what? Let there be light and light was. So how do we get saved today? The exact same thing happens in your life. God speaks into your darkness and says, let there be light. And the light of Jesus Christ erupts. What happened to Paul? Paul was on his way to Damascus, right? And all of a sudden, light from the heavens drops him to the ground. And he calls upon the Lord and gives his life to Jesus Christ. It is the God who made the light, who causes that light to shine within us. And the knowledge of the glory of God is where? In the face of Jesus Christ. You know, I don't have a lot of comfort in trying to know an unknowable God. The Scripture tells us that God is invisible, that no one can see His glory and live, that, that, that no one can draw near, that no one is righteous enough, that no one is good enough to have a relationship with Him. And then the Bible tells us that God became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and here comes Jesus with unveiled face to show, to radiate to you and I the glory of God. Jesus is everything. He shows us who God is, what God wants, and not only that, He being God pays the price for you and me so that we live forever with Him. There's no downside here. It's all good. It's all upside. It's all plus. He says in verse 7, but we have this treasure, the treasure of Jesus Christ, the treasure of the glory of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's this. Not just my britches, the body. We are jars of clay. And inside us, we have this incredible treasure, this incredible, beautiful treasure that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It doesn't have anything to do with us. I am honestly blown away by Jeannie's attitude and her ability to just hold on tight to the Word of God. Every time I talk to her, she's quoting the Word to me. She's holding on to the Word, holding on to the promises of God. And what does the Bible tell us? That doesn't have anything to do with Jeannie. It has everything to do with the Spirit of God within her. Because the path that God calls us to walk, He also empowers us to walk. He gives us what we need. That the power of God may be evident in us. We're just a bunch of crackpots. And when the pots crack, the power of God comes through. Well, here's the downside to that, folks. God knows His power shows through our lives more when we're cracked, when we're broken, when times are hard. Let's face it. When times are good, it's easy for us, people, mankind, to forget about God. So God, in His infinite mercy, He allows us to go through hard times. How many times have you said or thought, 
man, Lord, this is such a righteous person, such a good person. Why are they going through this difficult time? And God would say, so that the jar cracks and the light, the glory of God comes out. They blossom. We blossom in adversity. It's how it works, how it's always been. That's why the church in America is weak. We don't have all that much adversity. We think we do, but we don't. So he says, listen, we have this beautiful, amazing grace, this wonderful treasure in jars of clay. So what occurs? Look at verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So here's what he's laying out for us. We have the bad, but the bad can never separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. That's what he's saying. It don't matter how hard the world hits. Satan will bring something into our lives that he means to destroy us. But how does God mean it? For good. So Satan, he hit us with that right cross. He'll bring all he can bring against whomever he can bring it. But even though we're perplexed, even though we're like, wow, what's going on? Lord, what's happening? We don't despair. Why? Because he's with us. He's with us. So Paul's going to, as Paul's laying out for us, this is my life. This is how Paul lived his life. And this is how we can live our lives too. If we're willing to apply the very same things that he applied. If we're willing, we can be just like this. Nothing can, can shake us up. Nothing can rattle us. Nothing can spook us because of what God wants to do in our life. Last night, something spooked Kathy. Just last night. She's walking down the hallway at the house. And there comes this frantic shriek. And immediately, I leap to my feet. And I'm thinking... <laughs> I'm going to need a gun or something because that was bad. And then I realized I don't have any guns. or I have guns, but no bullets, so they don't do any good. I suppose I could use them as a club. And then she comes running down the hallway before I can really decide to do anything with that. You know how, you know how when you're hysterical, you, you, can't hardly, you can't hardly talk? She comes down the hallway like that. So I, I'm scared now. I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. And then she starts going, there's, there's, there's an anaconda in the, in the laundry room. I'm an anaconda? There's a snake, she says. It's like this big around. It crawled under the door. That's not going to fit under the door. So, you know, me and Cole, we watch a lot of shows about the most poisonous snakes in the world. So we're asking, well, well what did it look like? Well, chartreuse and, and a little teal. And what is that? Is it brown, green? Let's, let's talk in English. So we go over to the door and I, and I open the door a little bit. And, and she's standing right here. So about the time I see the snake again, she screams again. I'm scared again now. Now I'm jumping and I'm, ah! It was a little garter snake. It's about the size of a pencil. It, it scurries. 
it scurries off. And she says, I can't sleep tonight if there's a snake in the house. You are the hunter of this family. Hunt snake. <laughs> so I go bravely into the laundry room to hunt for this poor little garter snake. And as I'm looking for him, she's right beside me again. I had to make her leave. If I find that snake again, you're going to scream and I'm going to be scared. So let's just, let's just work it out like this. So I had a brilliant idea. Little garter snake, fast little booger, hard to catch. I got a vacuum. The vacuum's in the laundry room. I know where the snake is. Turn the vacuum on. Shoop. The great hunter has accomplished his goal. The garter snake is now living a happy life in the dirt in the vacuum cleaner. <clears throat> the downside to that is he may crawl out while we're here. We'll see. But nonetheless, this is sometimes how we go through the trials that we see. The things that come against us. We kind of freak out. We get scared. We, 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 we start to react instead of pressing into the Lord. God, what do you have for us? What do you? Sometimes we just screaming. Hollering. It's like when, when the, the Lord said to Jeremiah, go to the potter's house. And he went to the potter's house and there's a potter working on this jar. And the Lord spoke to Jeremiah and said, look, I'm going to make that jar whatever I want it to be. And the jar, he, he don't have the right to scream or panic or worry. Because the thoughts that I have for that jar are thoughts of good and not of evil. To give it a future and a hope. So that jar needs to trust the potter. And we need to trust him. While he does that work in our life. While he digs out all the junk out of the middle of the pot. Look what he says. In verse 10 he says, We are always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. All these bad, hard things occur in our life. The death of Jesus. What, what, what greater example is there of the love of God? It's the example we're given in the scripture, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What did he give him? He gave him as a sacrifice for you and I. Caring about the death of Jesus Christ. Why? Because what happens right after that? The resurrection to life. The power of God in the resurrection. That though we go through difficulty and though we face hard times, God raises us up. But what do we have to do? We have to press into Him. When the hard times come, I have a choice, right? I can get bitter, I can run, I can hide in a box, I can put a lid over my head and say, I'm not coming out till it's all over. Or I can press into the Lord and say, God, you brought this. Satan has no power over me unless God says, go. Unless God lets him, he can't touch me. How do we know that? The book of Job. Remember the book of Job? It says that the sons of God were standing before the, the Lord. Sons of God. The, the angels had come before him. And as the angels were standing before him, uh, uh, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, He doesn't just follow you for nothing. You give him everything. You're so good to him. You let me touch him and he'll curse you to your face. So God let him go. And Job went through it, didn't he? But in the end, Job was justified. And through all of that stuff Job faced, you know what he said? He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. 
and he will stand on this earth and I, my eyes will see him, my eyes and no other, for in the flesh I will see God. He's talking about the fact that in the end, he's going to be resurrected, he's going to have a resurrection body, he's going to see God, he's going to live forever, and this life is temporary. And we got to stop holding on to it so tight. Like it's all there is. Because it's not. It's not. This isn't the real. The real is Jesus Christ. Job said, though I lose everything, I will not curse God. He is right, and I trust him. And God carried him through, didn't he? And he gave him double of everything. He gave Job double of everything except for one thing. See, in Job's trial, he lost seven kids. God didn't give him 14. What does that mean? God only gave him seven. What does it mean? God promised to give Job double, but he only gave him seven. So what does it mean? It means he didn't lose the first seven. Well, they died here, but they are alive with him. And when Job sees God, his family will be there. Fourteen. Double. Can't hold on to this life so tight that we think this is all there is. This isn't it. This is just a a breath, a vapor. It just comes and goes. The older I get, the faster it goes. The faster it went. The older I get, the better I was. But the reality is, There is so much more yet to come, isn't there? So much more yet to come. Listen, this is what he says in verse 11. For we who live are always, for we who live are always, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Guys, nowhere in the word of God does God promise us we put our faith and trust in him that life will be easy. That life is just going to be no problem. We'll just skate through. That's not what he promises us. He promises us that none of us will be disappointed when we see him with open face. None of us will be disappointed when we're face to face with Almighty God. When we enter into the eternal promise of Jesus Christ. Paul said, hey, every, every city Paul went to, they delivered him to death, didn't they? Every one of them. In Damascus, the first place he went, they had to let him down outside of the city in a, in a garbage can to escape. Even in Jerusalem, among the church, he was persecuted. Everywhere he went, riots, stonings, beatings, thrown into prison. He didn't quit. He didn't quit. Why didn't he quit? Because he trusted God. That what was to come was far better than anything he was going through in this present time. We are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus may be manifest in our flesh. He cracks the pot so the light comes through. He cracks the pot so his light will come through. And while that pot is being cracked, he says, my little child, don't be afraid that whatever things you are suffering right now, this this small period of time that you're going to go through, it's, it's so small compared to the eternity that I'm going to give you. 
And while you go through this, this little suffering, I'm going to shine the light of Jesus Christ through your life and affect everyone around you in a way I couldn't do otherwise. And then he says, trust me. Trust me. When we came to Jesus Christ, didn't we say, we believe? It means I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Not only when the way is easy and the road is flat, but even when the way is hard and twisted and dark, I trust you. Just like my, my son Joseph, when he comes down, he thinks there are cave demons everywhere. And he comes to the hallway, looks down this hallway, and the hallway is dark. What does he want? Light. If he can't have the light, what's he want? Dad's hand. If I take his hand, he can walk in the dark. It's the same way with us, isn't it? We go through difficult times. We just need to put our hand in God's hand. Lord, you take me. He promised. He promised. He'd do that. We just got to put our hand in his. Press into the Lord and allow him to do the work that he wants to do in our lives. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. So then we go through hard times, but the life, the power, the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes bursting through. So what is required of us? You and I, we have need of endurance. Endurance. And that's the secret that Paul's going to come to. He says in verse 13, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, so we believe and therefore we speak. He's, he's quoting Psalm 116. What Psalm, Psalm 116 is basically this. The psalmist looking around and saying, Man, Lord, chaos everywhere. Life is falling apart. Tragedy everywhere I look. What am I going to do? But he says, But I, I believe you. I trust in you. I trust in you. So I believe and so I speak. And God carried the psalmist through, right? Sure he did. He would write to us at 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Because he is everything we need. So I believe, so I speak. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up. First key to endurance. He gives us here in verse 14 that we have the ultimate victory. We have the ultimate victory no matter what. The only thing that can happen to us on this earth is that we die. And the Bible says it is appointed unto man what? Once to die. But then judgment. But we have ultimate victory. Why? Because even though we will die, what's he say? The Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you, that God is going to raise us up, that there is a resurrection of the dead. To be absent from the body, the word declares, is what? To be present with the Lord. So though they take my life, what's the downside of that? I'm in the presence of God. Immediately. I am His, presented to God with Christ. Perfect. Blameless. Because I'm perfect and blameless? No, because He is. And he covers me. So he's saying, this is why I endure. 
Because we will be with Christ. We will be like Him. We will have God's glory. We will be fulfilled. We will reign with Christ. Because everything we need is found in Him. And on that day, we will receive it. Being in the presence of God is not the booby prize. Being in the presence of God is all that matters. Being with Him. So the first key to endurance, we have the victory in Christ. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. The second thing that helps us endure is that God is glorified. Paul says, no matter what I go through, God is glorified. What did he write for us in Romans eight twenty eight? For we hope. It says, for we know. All things work together for good. For who? To those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Everything works together for our good, God's glory. The second thing that helps us endure, God is being glorified. God is being glorified. People are getting saved. Even though i got to go through something tough, even though life is hard, even though it's a struggle and, I, and I'm broken, what happens if I press into the Lord, the light of Jesus Christ will come through my life and is evident to those around. But God is doing a work. God is doing a perfect work. Therefore, we do not lose heart. That's why we don't quit, Paul said. That's why we don't give up. Because we have the ultimate victory. And God is going to be glorified. But he's going to go on. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is renewed day by day. Even though this body is going to go through hard times. Even though this body is going to get sick. And one day this body is going to die. The inward man is renewed every day. He's not perishing. He's eternal. He's going to live forever. The question is, where? Is he going to live forever in the presence of God? Is he going to live forever in the absence of God? Only two choices. Every good and perfect thing is in the presence of God. What is hell? The absence of him. The absence of him. Ultimately, God gives each man what he desires. I want a relationship with you. I come by faith. I trust in Christ. And I have eternity with him. I don't want to be ruled by Christ. Okay. You won't. But your inward man is eternal. As the Lord works in our life, as as he takes his crackpot, and this crackpot goes through all the struggles that it goes through, it's like the marble. If you bring a big chunk of marble and sit it on the floor, maybe it's pretty. Maybe the swirls are kind of cool, and you're thinking, wow, that's, that's right. But as the marble wastes, the statue is revealed. Here's another way to put it. As I decrease, he increases. The inner man is revealed. He's revealed. So even though the outward man is perishing, even though we're going through this difficult time, the inward man is being renewed. Well, listen, this is what Paul's saying. Here's the third thing that helps us to endure. What's that? 
that these trials are working for me, not against me. They're revealing in me the inward man. They're bringing forward that, that, well, what the Scripture says. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be what? Transformed to the image of Christ. And so these trials transform me. Make me like Jesus. I just have to press into Him. The outward man perishes, I decrease, and he increases. He increases. He's doing this this incredible, mighty work through us. For, look what he says, our light affliction. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What's he saying? Whatever you go through, it is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's what he tells us in Romans 8. Anything we go through cannot even begin to compare with the beauty, the majesty, the incredible awesomeness of being in the presence of God. And he wants us to realize, listen, if you're going to have endurance, you've got to get your eyes off the temporal. Stop holding on to this life so tight and thinking that this is all there is and have eyes to see the way God sees. That there is so much more. We can have endurance. We can overcome. He tells in verse 18. How? While we do not look at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. We can just focus on what the doctor said. The doctor said that nasty word, right? The doctor, we go to the doctor and he says, cancer, and we're filled with fear and fright and we're scared. We can see what's seen. He can write it out on a piece of paper. We can stare at it and spend all our energy, all our time focused on that. Or we can focus on that which we cannot see. The truth of God. No man has the power to take your life. That's in God's hand. To give, to take away. But even if He takes it, we are in His presence. And it does not even begin to compare with whatever we'll face or whatever we'll struggle. We want to have eyes to see, not what we see here. Not holding on to these things so tightly, but holding on to God, holding on to Christ, focus on Him. That we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not are eternal. We cannot see heaven. We cannot see what the presence of God is going to be like or what we'll experience there. But we can see this. And if we make this all that there is, then that's all we'll have. We'll never experience a victorious Christian life. We'll never experience the pot being cracked and the glory of God coming out. Because we're holding so tight to this. I held tight to things here before. They all break. They all fall apart. It ain't all that great. Even science tells us it's not going to last, right? But that which we cannot see is eternal. That which we cannot see is eternal. So, what's he call us to do finally? The final thing? Walk by faith. 
not by sight. Walk by faith. And we will endure. We will experience life the way God meant it to be. But it's all found in Him. Isaiah chapter 40, 31 says, If we mount up with wings like eagles, those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and will not faint. Now listen to that verse. It is all about endurance. Those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings of eagles. They'll run and not be weary. And even when the race of life slows down to a walk, they will not faint. They will not fail. For God is with them as he is with us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you. Thank you, Father God, for your truth of your word. For how your word guides us, leads us, directs us. Father, that we might put our faith and trust in you. That we might place our hope in you. And that when things go south, we wouldn't just surrender. Oh, I quit. I quit. Forget it. This is too hard. But God, that we would learn to endure. That we would learn that you are working a far more exceeding weight of glory through our light affliction. That the things we go through are not worthy to be compared with what will be revealed in us. What will be revealed is the inner man. That as we decrease, Lord, you are transforming us into your image. The image of God. To the image of His Son. That we would be like Him. That when we see you face to face, Lord, we might hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. Oh, Lord, I thought everything I was going through was all there is. But he would say, No, 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 no. I have been preparing a place for you. Just for you. I've given you a new name. Because I know you even better than you know yourself. And like the potter, I have built you into an incredible work of art. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Lord, you have your way with us. Make us, mold us, shape us. In whatever way will bring you honor and glory. And give us eyes to see, not the temporary pain, but the eternal glory you have revealed 
Father, do your perfect work in us and through us. Lord God, if there is anyone here this morning who has not taken the time to say, Lord, be my Lord, who has not put their faith and trust in you, Lord God, may they find no peace until they have peace with you. And Father, as we close this morning and and we head off to baptisms, as we have prayer counselors all around the room, Lord, by your Spirit, those who don't know you, bring them. Bring them. For it's a work of your Spirit. Bring them to those who will pray with them and lead them into the courts of the King. To the one, the only one, who can take all the garbage of this life and turn it into gold. To you, who alone deserves glory, majesty, dominion, and power. Father, we pray that you would move in our lives, that you would work your work a revival, that we would turn our hearts, our minds, our wills toward you. And that that would begin to rumble from this place out. That people come to know you. So Lord we lift up this morning. We ask. Move. By the power of your spirit. Heal. By the power of your spirit. Anoint. By the power of your spirit. Equip us with the endurance we need to finish our race. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close in worship, as the worship team comes on up to close us, we'll go ahead and have anybody that's part of the the prayer counselors, elders and their wives, anyone that can make themselves available for prayer. If you're going through something and you want prayer, come see a prayer counselor. If, uh, if you want to uh, seek a relationship with Jesus Christ, come and talk to one of the prayer counselors. They'd be happy to pray with you guys. God bless you and go in peace. have uh, prayer counselors on both sides of the church over here this is a song of surrender Lord we say yes yes Lord whatever we're going through Lord we say yes Lord take us there
Yes, Lord, amen. Let's all put our hands together. La, la, la. 